Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Lord, we pray that you'll illuminate your word to us this morning. Mighty God, we pray that it would get on the inside of each and every one of us. Lord, this is your word, so it's good, solid food. We just ask that you, Holy Spirit, will breathe on it and bring it alive to us this morning and help us to be able to take something away to live this week in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. This passage that Joe read out starts with, I consider that our present suffering. And we've been talking about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of heaven coming to earth, that heaven's not just a there and then place, but actually it's something that we bring to earth by who we are and that Jesus has declared that the kingdom of heaven is close enough to touch, that it's accessible, that we can pull it into this present reality. And so if that's the case, we need to have an approach to suffering because suffering exists in our world. And if, we, if we're kingdom of heaven people, if we're those that bring a new reality to the earth, then we need to understand suffering because we can't just ignore it. That makes us delusional and looks like us happy, clappy Christians that don't really have a clue. So we actually are people that bring into the current reality, the kingdom of heaven and the understanding of heaven, even in the midst of suffering. We could kind of look at this passage and go, Bron, we, we, we don't even get suffering compared to this early church. And we'd be absolutely right. You know, these guys were getting crucified, uh, sometimes upside down. <laughs> they... The word crucifixion, that's where the word excruciating comes from. It's so painful that, that, that a word was formed out of it called excruciating. So these people were undergoing tremendous trial. Not only that, you know, if that wasn't the case, they might be fed to lions. If that wasn't the case, they might be impaled on a pole and dipped in tar and set alight for the good pleasure of the ruling and reigning kingdom. So they knew suffering, and it's true that we don't know suffering like they do. I don't think anyone in this room has experienced anything like that. I know of one of my brothers, um, George, he narrowly 
escape being martyred in his home country. Um, he was in the market and, uh, and uh, he actually got there, correct me if I'm wrong, George, just by shaking your head or just go with it. <laughs> the details are barely important. But he got to the market late, not, not at the right time. If he had have been there, <coughs> excuse me, when he was supposed to be there, he would have actually been killed with his Christian brothers and sisters that were in the market at the time as a, as a jihadist group came into that marketplace. So there are some of us in this room that are aware of that kind of suffering, but I would say the majority of us, the far bulk of us, have absolutely no clue what that kind of suffering is like. So how do we then approach it? Do we just shove it down and say, well, I'll just compare myself to someone who's worse off? Is that truly honest in the way that we approach suffering? Yeah, I, I th- I've talked to so many stoic farmers in the midst of this horrific drought who say to me, well, you know what, Brom? I'm not as, worse, as bad off as some people in the world. And I find that so admirable. And, and I, it makes me proud to be a farmer's daughter. But, but at the same time, like, it's rubbish, right? What's going on right now is rubbish. It's awful. And, and while we don't want to dwell in it, we need to have some kind of approach to it to know how to handle it. So this morning, I want us to look at some causes of suffering that are actually ageless and stageless. All of them are stageless bar the last one, but all of them are universal across any age. Sure, they might not be like our pioneer brothers and sisters or even our brothers and sisters across the world who are undergoing tremendous that's immense and tremendous, um, persecution at the moment. They might not be like that, but they are, they are real. And the first one is the suffering of heartbreak. Maybe you're suffering heartbreak here this morning. Whether it's through loss or whether it's through betrayal or for whatever reason, if you're suffering heartbreak, you know the intense grief that feels like it's going to like tear your gut apart. If you're going to eat, Jackson, you better share with me. <laughs> Thank you. Sour worms. Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> um, the heartbreak. The heartbreak that we feel when we undergo loss, the heartbreak of disappointment, when, we, when things don't turn out the way that we thought they would, that kind of heartbreak. You know, Jesus went through heartbreak. He went through tremendous heartbreak when he was in the garden. You hear me mention this because this is, this is something I can't get out of my head. You know, when it comes to the Bible, there are things that just stay with you. And this is one of those things for me that, that sure, the crowd ditched him and went away. I, I understand that. He was preaching some pretty cr- like crazy things to their minds. So I understand the crowd leaving. But when his three best mates that were taken to the garden with him and he, he, he had such anguish of soul and asked them to stay awake and pray, and then he goes off and falls to the ground and, and he's starting this wrestle of what he's about to go through. And he comes back and his mates are asleep. That's a heartbreak that I kind of, I, it just gets on the inside of me. I, I can't stop thinking about it. And, and then when he does it again and they're still, they, he wakes them up, but then goes again and then they're still asleep. And, and then the third time, it's almost like this, this resignation as he doesn't even bother waking them up the last time. He knows that they're going to desert him anyway. And, and to me, that's gut-wrenching. But what's even more gut-wrenching is when Jesus is on the cross when he's made it to Calvary and he's undergone this tremendous physical pressure as well. And there he is hanging on the cross. And he yells out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he is heartbroken in that moment. If you ever wonder if Jesus identifies with your heartbreak, 
He does. He gets it. It's a suffering that is ageless and stageless. You know, there's a book in the Bible that is dedicated to suffering. And I love that about God. He wanted someone to bear witness to our suffering and for us to bear witness to someone else's suffering so that we might find in the midst of it the ability to go on. And in this story of Job, on a freakish day, he's eating at home and a messenger comes to him and says, Job, the Sabaeans have attacked your oxen and your donkeys and they've stolen them all and they put all your servants to the sword except for me, I'm the only one who escaped. He'd barely finished talking. Job barely has time to react before the next messenger runs in and says, Job, in a freakish accident, all your sheep have been struck by lightning. All your sheep have been struck by lightning and, and even the servants that were looking after them were struck by lightning and they died as well and, and I'm the only one to escape. Job barely has time to react to that before another messenger runs in and says, the Chaldeans have attacked Job and they've killed all your camels. No, they, they stole the camels and they killed all your servants. I'm the only one who's been able to escape. And Job's there. It's like, what else? The last messenger runs in and he says, Job, I was just serving at your oldest son's house. All your other children had gathered there for a party. And this tornado came and the roof crashed and Job, they're all dead except for me. And Job just rips his clothes in anguish and goes and sits outside and then his health starts to be troubled. He starts to break out in boils and the only relief he can find is to grab shards of pottery and scrape his boils. That's a low point of suffering and heartbreak. His mates come in and they sit with him for seven days and seven nights in silence, just grieving with him, just weeping with him, just being with him in the midst of his misery. And sometimes, church, if someone's going through suffering, that's all they require of you, just to sit with them in the midst of their suffering. As Job begins to verbally process what's going on in him and and around him, his friends can't handle it and they just start correcting him. No, Job, that's not right. No, Job, that's not right. They, out of their understanding and their lack of suffering, begin to speak into his suffering and where he's at, which was a mistake. So there's this heartbreak that God knows that we're all going to go through. Another cause of suffering is exhaustion. Maybe you're exhausted this morning, whether physically or mentally or emotionally, maybe you're exhausted here this morning. Trisha's got three weeks of her... Semester to go, she's exhausted (laughs) physically, mentally, and emotionally. We need to pray for her. (laughs) Maybe you've been there as well. Maybe you're here this morning emotionally exhausted, physically exhausted. Jesus knows what that's like. In the garden, like I said, he's there and and anguish of soul, and he begins to sweat drops of blood, a condition known as hematidrosis, whereby the capillaries that feed into the sweat glands get ruptured and the blood just flows into the sweat glands. And so you leak out drops of blood as sweat. And it, it's a known condition. You look up Wikipedia, you'll find it. It's the source of all truth. And in Wikipedia, it says that it happens after a time of intense emotional or physical stress. Well, we know that at that time, Jesus' body hadn't been through anything. So you can imagine his emotional anguish that he's going through for him to have that happen. But not just hours later, then he's going towards the cross. And by now... He's been beaten, he's been spit on, he's been mocked, he's had a crown of thorns placed and pressed upon his head. 
And now he's so physically exhausted that he can't even carry his own cross. And so the Roman soldier grabs someone, Simon, on the side of the road and says, you carry his cross. Exhaustion. Exhaustion. Elijah suffered exhaustion as well. He went through this amazing high of seeing a miraculous manifestation of God and then is laid out on the ground and can't go a step further. I don't know if you're exhausted here this morning, but it is a cause of suffering. Another one is loneliness. Loneliness, the, the, the feeling of being alone, whether it's without a significant other, whether it's because you, you, your best friends ditch you, maybe someone has betrayed you. Loneliness is a cause of suffering that we all feel. You feel without you feel without. And finally, this last one is not stageless. It's unique to our stage in middle class Australia, which is what we all are here this morning. This is the dissatisfaction, this kind of desire for something more, this like doldrums, there's got to be more than this. We don't see it mentioned in the New Testament because I don't know if they're going to live the next day or not. They're so reliant on God in everything that they do that they don't experience this feeling. Where we find it is in the book of Ecclesiastes with the rich guy who says, I've got everything I need, but, but I want so much more. I don't see any meaning in any of it. And that's a condition that is current in our Western society. I just feel like this dissatisfaction is even evident in the church I love Jesus. I know Jesus, but I don't feel like I'm getting the fullness of all there is. A dissatisfaction, a deep desire for more. Well, let's go to this passage because we need to have a theology of suffering. If we're those who bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, we need to know how to approach suffering. And maybe you identify with one of those, all of those, none of those. But at some point in your life, you're going to go through some of those. So let's read verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. If you were thinking that it's a glory when we go to heaven, that actually that these present sufferings aren't comparable to the glory that one day when we go to heaven, hang on, no, we're bringers of the kingdom of heaven to earth and actually there's being a glory revealed in us as we go through suffering right now. It's happening in you as you suffer. The creation waits, it says, in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. So there's this, this, this thing going on where it's not just us, but all of creation around us are eagerly waiting that actually there's something more than just us and just your church and just your city, but actually there's a ramification on the whole of creation. If you're a greenie here this morning, this is good news for you because if you live in the freedom and power of God, then actually you're bringing redemption to the earth itself. This is this is big stuff. This is crazy stuff. It says for the creation, it's almost like this is parenthesized, this is in brackets, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Do you know who that is? That's you and I. When God said in the beginning, be fruitful and multiply, reign over the earth and subdue it, we were the ones who subjected creation. So when humanity fell, not only did we go into that state of decay, but the whole of creation did. It had ramifications, not just for us, but for the whole of creation. And in the same way, if we'll live in a way through our suffering, we will have ramifications, not just for us, but for the whole of creation. And so it says, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. That blows me away. You know, there's so much riding on you going through your suffering. 
It's way beyond us. It's way beyond this room. There's, there's this all of creation leaning in to see how we respond to the suffering that comes upon us. It says here in verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So creation's groaning, it's waiting, it's waiting for the fruitfulness to come. It says, not only so, not only is creation groaning, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. So creation's groaning, but also our, we're groaning. Sure, we're, if you've decided to follow Jesus, if you've believed and received Jesus, then you're now a child of God. But, but your body's still decaying. Can I get a good amen here this morning? You know, uh, I've heard it said that people in their 60s, that they, if they have to get something off the ground, they stay down and look around for anything else that needs to be done down there before they get back. I say I'm a high achiever, early achiever, and uh, not yet 40, but I'm there right now. I'm like, to get on the ground is horrific and, and awful to get back up. You know, our bodies are decaying, aren't they? All the ones who use Botox said, not yet. But the rest of us, we know that our bodies are decaying and we can see the effects of the decay on ourselves. So how, what, what's happening here? Well, it says that we're groaning, we're waiting for something to happen. It says that we're waiting for what we hope for. It says that we were saved with a hope that this life was not all there is. That you don't need to hope for something that hasn't happened yet. You don't need to hope for that because you've got it. If I'm hoping and hoping for a new iPhone while I'm holding it in my hand, that makes me stupid. But if I'm hoping for the next iPhone that I don't have yet in my hand, that makes me greedy. But apart from that, I, it makes sense for me to wait patiently for something. And we're waiting patiently for the redemption of all things. And that includes even our bodies. That there's something happening at the end that we can wait patiently for. Maybe this morning you've got a physical condition. And you're like, oh, sweet Jesus, bring that relief. I cannot wait for all things to be redeemed. It says in verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. So here we have all of creation groaning. Here we have us groaning as well. And here we have the Spirit groaning as well on our behalf. That's why the gift of praying in the Spirit is such a gift. Because when we don't know what to pray, which is on the regular for me, I can pray in the Spirit and I know that actually He is interceding on my behalf. There's this complete intercession that's happening you know, I would not call myself an intercessor. If you're new here in church this morning, intercessor is a word that's used in the church for people who love to pray, who just feel the pain of other people and love to get on their knees and pray for them like crazy. That's what an intercessor is. I wouldn't say that I've got that gift. But there's been a few times where, where something, a little bit weird God story alert right now, um, is that something's happened where, uh, for example, one time we had a friend over and he'd been through a a massive heartbreak. His wife had left. He didn't yet have, he wasn't able to see his children regularly. And, um, and at all, he, he was just in absolute pain and agony in the moment. And, and we're sitting there and talking and I'm a sympathy crier. He wasn't crying, so I was crying for him. And, um, and we're just there and, and it was devastating. But all of a sudden I had to get up from the table. I could not sit at the table for another moment. 
And I went into my bedroom and I just got down on the floor. This was a couple of years ago. It was easier. And, uh, and I actually just started groaning. I was like, my heart was breaking. It was like I was him. My heart was breaking inside of me. It was, it was crushing. The pain and the agony was crushing. And I was just crying out to God on his behalf. And all I could get out was this weird groaning on his behalf. And it was simply, as explained by this scripture, the Spirit interceding on his behalf. That wasn't me. I don't groan. I'm way too tough for groaning. But, but in that moment, I was oh, devastated. And, and it just came out like this heartbroken groan because the Spirit himself is interceding for us. Oh, I'm so grateful for that. So if we're... You know, if there's a groaning that's going on, it's creation, it's us, and, and it's the Spirit Himself, then what does all that look like? It, it tells us that there's a greater story. Even than you going through your suffering right now, there's a greater story that's happening. And it's actually revealing, if we could put the slide up. I did an acronym for groan. I'm really into acronyms at the moment. There's a greater story going on than even us and our own suffering. And it's revealing in us something. It's not just revealing to us something or about us something. It's revealing in us something. And, and the objective, there's an objective that's there to give us an assurance that we're not alone. The creation groaning, us groaning, the Spirit Himself groaning, giving this painting, this bigger picture of an assurance that we're not alone in this place. And we're not going through this alone. In my final minutes... I want to tell you why that would even matter. Who cares? Okay, I'm not alone. How does that help me right now? How does that help me? It's just a knowledge, right? No, it's so much more than that. Verse 28, it says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. All things. All things, whatever it is that you've experienced, whatever it is that you're going through, God is working that very thing to good for those who love Him. And it says not only those who love Him, but who've been called according to His purpose. Here's what our human thinker tendency can can tend to do in this point. It can say, well, I know that I love Him, but how do I know that I'm called according to His purpose? Like, how do I know that He's truly working all things? Is that really about me? Let's go to verse 29 to explain this a little bit. It says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now there's some massive concepts here. And this is a passage that Christians get in fisticuffs about. (laughs) That actually, they'll they'll go toe-to-toe on it. I'm going to tell you my understanding of this passage. If you think differently, God bless, that's awesome. And um, but I'm going to tell you my understanding of these verses. And, and I'm taking it from this passage and from the whole book of Romans, which is essentially saying to a group of people that thought they were born in, hey, you're not, it's all about faith in Jesus Christ and His grace that saves you and that only. And then in the light of all that Jesus taught, and then in light of how I read Genesis, and then in light of Ephesians, that's how I've come to this understanding of this passage. And I would say that God foreknew who would choose him. He knew before the dawn of time because that's who he is. He knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning and he knows who will choose him. But inherent in the word choice is your will. 
So there's His knowing and there's your will and then God works with your will to make sure that what He knew would happen, happens. Do I understand it? Oh, hell no. (laughs) Not at all. But I, I understand that He loves us. I understand that He knows us. I understand that He works with what He knows we are already going to do. And I understand that this Bible, though inspired by God, was written by men, so is limited in our human language. So I believe that we choose Him. It's our choice. But man, He draws us. He draws us while we have breath. He draws and He draws and He draws. And I love what John Stott says. He said, The knocking was so loud on my heart and it kept going and going and I kept toing and froing that I didn't even know who opened the door. And He says, In truth, it was me. But I couldn't have told at the time. God is knocking on the door of our hearts and He's wooing us to Himself and He's saying, Will you believe in me? Will you receive me as your Lord and Saviour? And so then, what this passage says, that having accepted Him, having believed in Him, that He is committed to you. He is all in. You know, I don't get worked up when people say that they've stopped believing in Jesus. I'm like, good luck. <laughs> he, he's going to chase you down. His mercy and His goodness will follow you all the days of your life. And yes, I, I, without getting into a theological discussion, I believe... Yeah, let's not get into a theological discussion. <laughs> but he will chase you down. You have to be pretty strong to outrun my God. He's chasing you down. And in this, he is totally committed. It's like he's pushed all the chips across the table and he said, I'm all in. He said, I've revealed my hand. I've died for you. I love you. I'm going to woo you. I'm going to chase you down. I'm hunting for you. Good luck with your running. I know you're running right now. You're going to get tired and I will capture you. And that is my good pleasure to do so. So if that's the case, if he's all in, if he's all committed, then in the midst of our suffering, can we know that he's working all things together for good? Yes, we can. In verse 31, it says, what, should, what then shall we say in response to this? God is for us. Who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's the ultimate walking behind the toilets to the fight in year four that someone challenged you to and then turning around and your big brother walking around the corner and going to step back and go, yeah, go for it. He wants to fight on my behalf. Go for it. And so we bring our big brother to the fight. Jesus is walking in. God says, if I am for you, who has a chance at being against you? If you think that that suffering situation has a chance at being against you, let me tell you, I am for you and I will conquer that. You are more than a conqueror. It says in verse 32, He who did not spare His Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? All things. He just wants to bless us. He's just going to keep on blessing you. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? You know who will bring a charge against us? The enemy. It says he's the accuser of the brethren and he goes before the throne accusing us day and night. This is the answer. It's God who justifies. Nice try, enemy. God is justifying. Verse 34, who is he that condemns? The answer again is Satan. He is condemning us in our thoughts, in our heart. He is telling us we are not good enough over and over again. But it says here, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So not only have you got all creation groaning, waiting to see what will be revealed in you, not only are you yourself groaning, not only is the Spirit groaning as well, but Jesus Himself is sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Can you come to your feet this morning? I'm about to finish 
1 minute and 20 seconds. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Church, He is chasing you down. He is all in committed to you. All in in that He gave His Son, it cost Him everything. And Jesus went through heartbreak. He went through exhaustion and He went through loneliness on your behalf. My question is, is there anyone here this morning who would say, I'm ready to receive Him as my Lord and Saviour? Is there anyone here? Just go ahead and raise your hand and says, yes, I'm ready to receive Him as my Lord and Saviour. Here in this place this morning. I forgot to get us to close our eyes and give you privacy. That's all right. If you just let the courage rise, hear the knocking at the door of your heart. If it's you this morning and says, yes, I'm ready to receive Him, just go ahead and raise your hand. There's no one raising their hand yet this morning. But I believe that there are people that are desirous. Thank you. Thank you. That are desirous to receive Him. So we're going to pray a prayer from the bottom of our hearts. And then we're going to read this last passage of Scripture together with everything, with some, with some conviction, with some strength, with some power. And we're going to believe it and take it home this morning. Let's pray after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for Jesus. Thank you that he died on the cross for me. Thank you that he went through heartbreak for me. Thank you that he went through exhaustion for me. Thank you that he went through loneliness for me. Jesus, I receive you. I want to follow you. Forgive me of my sins and help me go your way. In Jesus' name. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.